Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the October 27th, 2021 QPSC. Madam Clerk, can we do a roll call, please? Yes, Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Dong. Not here. Trustee Esteem. Here. Trustee uh, Friedman. Here. Trustee Jensen. Here. We do have a quorum. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Uh, Everyone knows our process is to define our purpose here at the top of every meeting. Once again, back to it, the purpose of the QPSC. The QPSC is established to provide oversight and leadership for all medical staff credentialing, review of organizational policies, and monitoring of organizational quality assurance, performance improvement, and safety programs. The QPSC is charged with continuing the practice of direct communication with medical staff leaders on issues of clinical operations and patient care. That's our purpose. Hopefully it'll frame the evening as we always do. Madam Clerk, is there any public comment? I do not have any. Um, scanning the room, if you'll scan with me. Uh, as everyone re recollects, the, uh, the agenda has clear and full instructions how to submit for public comment. As they say, all feedback is a gift. If you have it, we'll take it. Um, take a little pause here. And I don't see anything. So barring that, we'll, let's go into the agenda. Item A, uh, the, 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 the chair's report um, will continue in our theme of uh, trying to continuously educate ourselves. Uh, and there are two uh, uh, submissions for uh, everyone's review. Uh, if, if anyone's ever heard me talk over the years, they know I'm a, a, um, a super big fan uh, of Dr. Donald Berwick. Uh, arguably one of the world's most foremost leaders on the issue of quality. He was the former director of uh, the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services. He's a, a pediatrician out of Harvard, and he was a thought leader through the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. So um, I was patient safety was on my mind, and uh, he said a score of things on patient safety. So I looked to him for some thoughtful words. And that article is in there for your review. I try to pick articles that people are going to read, not the 50-pager, which sometimes uh, has a lot of great stuff, but uh, keeping it simple, I'm going to review this article with everyone. It's entitled, Seven Roadblocks to Improving Patient Safety. Roadblock one, displacement, of, of, by, displacement by other concerns. Quote, as we go to boardrooms around the U.S. and hear what is being discussed, there are two topics a changing reimbursement system, and workplace morale. Um, my comment is, it's my hope that we will continue to use this part of our board and the larger scheme of our board to do more than just these two topics. We have certainly had discussions about workplace morale. We have certainly had discussions about the changing reimbursement system and how we get compensated here. But I, I want to uh, say that it is our charge in this, at least this aspect of uh, our, our responsibilities to maintain a, and continue a deep commitment to uh, discussions of quality care and navigating that. Roadblock number two, the illusion of completeness. Quote, there's an illusion we've worked on safety. Here are our scores on central line infections, pressure ulcers, and here's what's happening in medicine reconciliation. Now on to the next problem. The concept of safety as a box checking enterprise where we start and finish is lethal to the patients of the future. 
So uh, being mindful of that, we'd have a lot of boxes that we check here. And I, I think uh, I think if I were in a room, that would be a nice dialogue and debate with Dr. Berwick. We have to do the checks. We have to do the checks, but I think he's trying to get to the, the theme underneath. So uh, checks, uh, uh, I'm a big fan of the, the, the checklist manifesto. We have to do that to do the framework, to have consistency so we can build our capacity. Number three, the third roadblock, incentive theory. Quote, most of the workforce is already trying as hard as they can. Until we become scientists and give up the incentive-oriented approach to safety, we won't make the systemic progress we've been calling on for years. Roadblock number four, a metrics glut. Quote, in pursuit of incentives, we've glutted ourselves with metrics. I think we are way beyond a level of toxicity. Um, I know our quality team kills themselves with metrics, and there's a lot of them. And uh, I, I, I don't know which are the ones to cut. Um, uh, so these are these are dialogues we'll ha we'll have to continue to have here. I just know we got a lot of them, and it's hard to manage. Five, separation of safety from quality. Quote: When people say quality and safety. What I hear is fruit and bananas. Sorry, that's one of my favorite quotes, if anyone's ever heard it. Well, I'm going to repeat it. I love it so much. When people say quality and safety, what I hear is fruit and bananas. Quality improvement is the enterprise of constant improvement to everything we care about. The quality of my car is dimensional. It has safety. It has durability, fuel economy, and comfort. And guess what? So does healthcare. It has many dimensions. I think reuniting our endeavors is crucial to our future. We just don't have the resources to waste on tribalism. We have to think systematically. Obstacle number six, system literacy. Quote, we need to become more literate about the systemic properties that produce improvement. And I'm proud that I think we continue to have those discussions about advancing our understanding about what quality means in this room. And seven, uh, this was a funny one. I don't know where it came from. Someone must have been uh, uh, attacking Dr. Berwick because his seventh obstacle was academic attacks. Quote, until our academic brethren, brethren join in the progression of safety instead of positioning themselves as critics of good-hearted work going on, they'll be riding the brakes. I don't know what that one's about, but uh, the first six I liked. Um, the second uh, attachment is the 2021 uh, Hospital National Patient Safety Goals. Uh, for those in, who are interested in the quality literature, which is everyone in this room, um, since 2003, the Joint Commission has annually been publishing national annual uh, safety goals to focus on. Not that there aren't a lot, but these are the ones to focus. I put it in here so that we are continuously informing ourselves about the literature. And with that, I'll shut up and I'll open it up to other trustees. Oh, quiet room. I'll also open it up to um, executives and we have a new VP of quality in the room as well, Ms. Torres. Um, so um, pl please feel free to comment um, for anyone who wants to. Chiefs of staff as well. Um, Capt, I can um, comment actually. Yes, Trustee Jensen. I, I did, I did um, 
not complete. Well, I, I don't disagree with, with his um, concerns and from what he outlines, what Berwick outlined in his talk, but, um, you know, he, he can say that um, there's a strong connection between safety and cost reduction. And that's true. But he, what he didn't point out is that that started with CMS when CMS started DRGs and um, started prospective payment system and now continuing with the um, Medicare plus if he wanted, he was the former administrator for CMS and he's worked in the federal government for a long time. So for him to just say that without pointing out that the role that the government played in that is a little disingenuous, in my opinion. Thank you for that comment. Other trustees, Dr. Tornabene, I see, saw you unmuted. <laughs> yeah, actually one of my favorite lines was actually not in the numbers, but it was down below, which is that we have to remove the chaos. Yeah. Um, was in there as as a key takeaway for me, and it's for me also an important reflection as um, we and you know as a system embark on uh, strategic planning. You know, because even in prior QPSCs, we've been talking about simplicity and messaging, communication. And so I, I took away from that line also removing the chaos. How do we be true about our, our messaging and, and, and be clear about it um, and to be able to share it out to the system? Thanks, Dr. Tornabetti. Nice comment. Trustees, executives, chiefs of staff, Thank I will take this opportunity if you're going to call. Dr. Bash, all right, I love it. I, I love this. I love this uh, topic, and it's something we talked about at MEC, and I'll talk about it in my report. But we, we, I put the whole IHA white paper on whole system quality in MEC, and I can tell you all MEC members read the entire thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I was actually going to say in the leadership chat last Thursday, we had breakout rooms talking about. Um, patient um, uh, experience, which is part of your steep goals that, that you're going to talk about more on Friday. Mm -hmm. And and in the group we talked about was, we really talked about what does the patient need? Do we know what the patient needs? I think I heard a lot of reporting out of ideas that people were bringing to our patients, but what are the patients saying to us that we can change? And I get that from this as well today. Thank you, Dr. Besh. As always, I appreciate you guys receiving the, uh, the the article and the dialogue. With that, we'll close out. I'm looking around if any of the other hands I don't see. We'll close out item A. Let's go into item B, the consent agenda. Trustees, uh, the consent agenda is before you. Before entertaining a motion to approve the entirety of the consent agenda, are there any items that need to be removed for discussion? I'm proposing two are removed for discussion. One is the patient procedural consent and the other is the medication error reduction plan policy. I just want, I, I just have a question uh, uh, about those two. So uh, uh, I'd like to pull those actually for the discussion. I move approval of the consent calendar minus those two items. Thank second. you, sir. We have a second. Um, Madam uh, Clerk, roll call. Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Dong is still not in the house, I don't think. Uh, Trustee Esteem. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. 
she might have stepped away for a moment, but the uh, motion does pass. She, there she is. There Hi. she is. Thank you, Tracy. Motion passes. Thank you. Uh, uh, Evelyn, the, the reason I pulled um, the, those two policies is I noticed something um, absent uh, from the, the end of them. Most of our policies have what you will uh, 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 a document approval kind of migration history. It's gone through a clinical committee, it's gone through MEC, it's gone through this to arrive at the board. I did not see such a history on the patient procedural consent um, at the last page. And may, may, I don't know if it was attached. So my question is, has this uh, policy made the appropriate migration to arrive at the board level? Yes, it has. It has been through CPC and, and, and the MECs. And um, some of this could be as, as we've been working with our policy tech system and trying to do more and more in the system. Um, okay. so follow up with our policy tech administrator around that that grid but indeed that has made its way through okay. the, the MECs. So so uh, uh, with with that stipulation trustees and uh, of, of course trusting our interim CMO's knowledge on this uh, Dr. Tornabeni if it can be attached at the bottom of page nine so 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 I, I don't know if you can see it uh, it's page 30 of 139 there's this you know there's normally that grid of approval yeah, yeah, I'm I'm pulling it up right now. Uh-huh. Okay. It's the, the same thing goes for um, the uh, medication error reduction policy. The, the grid is incompletely filled out. And that would be on page. Wait for it. Wait for it. It, it would be on page 45 of 139. Uh, there's a blank for PNT, there's a blank for CPC, there's a blank for MEC. It just says uh, medication error reduction plan, SLHHH. It was approved on January of 2021, and the rest of those are blank. So I guess my question, if those have migrated, uh, if, if you're telling us uh, these are migrated, then then I will, uh, then I think, I, I think we could entertain a motion to approve them. With that, with that stipulation. Yeah, I think I'll have to validate the for the MERP plan here. I don't know if uh, Satira is in the room. I just can't. I I can't recall off the top of my head if the MERP plan was in the MEC packets. And so, if we cannot validate that here, yeah. then then we'd have to uh, bring that back. Okay. Satira, are are you looking right now? I am, and you're asking from the last October MEC. Yes, thank you. Sure. So we'll wait on that. Uh, so good to, uh, the, that the consent went through. The con, sorry, the consent policy, the patient consent policy. Yeah. Which, by the way. Killing the air is a very nice update. So I'm just acknowledging <laughs> yes, a wonderful update to that policy. Um, why don't we, while we're waiting to hear about the uh, medication error reduction plan policy, why don't I entertain a motion to approve the patient procedural consent policy? So moved. Thank you, Trustee Friedman. Someone can say second. On second. 
Great. Now let's uh, do a roll call. Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Esteem. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. The motion passes. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Dr. Bouquet. Yes, ma'am. The MERP plan did not hit the agendas for the October 20th AHSMEC or the October 20 or October 15th AHMEC. Thank, thank you, uh, Satira. So given that, uh, we, we will send that one back to, uh, so we can migrate the process appropriately. Um, glad that we uh, went through the process. So with that, I think that closes out the consent agenda. Um, and with that, we will move to item C. Uh, one of the highlights of the evening, the medical staff reports. Uh, we hear um, from our medical staff leaders on issues of concern regarding clinical operations, quality, and the like. Let's open up with Dr. Kathy Pyun, our, our chief of staff at uh, Alameda Hospital. Good evening, uh, Dr. Pyun. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, just to reiterate that uh, we did uh, pass uh, recommended submitted uh, for approval of medical staff credentialing prevention privileging actions the last meeting on October 27. Uh, I wanted to move on to ranking our list of key concerns. Um, you know, a follow-up of, uh, of referrals to subspecialists uh, from Alameda Hospital to, um, to AHS subspecialists. There has been um, a plan in place uh, in November, I believe, there will be a, uh, an ability to uh, in, in selected cases, uh, place consults uh, and uh, requests for pulmonary and uh, uh, nephrology as uh, well as uh, hemonc uh, for patients. And that's going to be very welcome uh, for um, to help connect uh, our campuses together. Uh, we received a number of Highland patients through their ED uh, directly to us, and we'd like to sometimes reconnect the, the patients back to uh, they're often they're, they're either their subspecialists or even uh, if they need new new care or new ongoing care, we need to, we, we're, we're we're excited about that. Um, so that needs to be a build up for Epic, and we're, we're and my understanding is that it should it should uh, launch in, in November. Uh, there's a, a lot of work being put into this, so I wanted to thank everyone who's involved. Um, in addition, uh, to discuss other uh, things that uh, have been really uh, highlighted at our campus is emergency department to inpatient throughput. Uh, our department uh, in medicine has been closely working with the ER department and, and trying to figure out ways that we can bring uh, patients upstairs uh, to uh, the medical floor in a more expeditious manner. You know, as, you, as we examine the problem, there's so many different steps that need to happen in order for a patient to, to move from the ED to the floors or to ICU or whatnot. So, um, from our standpoint, from the medical staff standpoint, for the hospitalists, uh, we're trying to do what we can to um, speed up our process, and we're asking our hospitalists to do their evaluations within an hour of accepting transfers upstairs. And um, and if, if we're unable to do that, we're accepting uh, something called bridge orders, where the ED doctor can place some basic orders in. So that we're, we're launching that, and we're hoping that you know. Uh, at least from our standpoint, from the, from the doctor's standpoint, we're, we're not holding things up. Um, there's many other pieces, of course, and that's also being uh, worked on by various departments, and departments like such as nursing, um, even transport, things like that. So we're we're excited to see um, 
just see some movement on this and perhaps some, some metrics on this. Um, it's been a good dialogue though, between our departments, uh, between medicine and ED. Um, I've enjoyed working with Dr. Joshi on this. Uh, in addition, uh, uh, there has been issues with my MRI. I, you know, it's been some, some days it's been fine. Like there's just, it's plenty, there seems to be plenty of spots for MRI. And sometimes it seems like it's a little slow, like it takes a little longer than we'd like to get the MRI. And so I, right now our MRI is, um, at Alameda is servicing, I believe it's at San Leandro as well. So it's been, it, you know, uh, there has been discussion. I, I spoke to um, the direct, uh, one of the uh, radiology uh, directors, and there's a plan possibly to um, move, um, perhaps uh, some to add more slots on the weekends, and possibly do a lot of the musculoskeletal um, MRIs on the weekends. That way, opening up more slots um, for inpatients. So that has not happened yet. I know that there's a staffing issue regarding this, or that's, that's what being hold up is getting enough technicians. But the fact that this has been, you know, just, you know, basically, I believe it's from the crew. So I'm, you know, that we're, we're you know, at least there's a, a good dialogue that we're, you know, we're trying to work on this and, and improve that aspect. So those are the, um, my most, uh, you know, key concerns right now. If anyone has any questions, please let me, you know, ask away. Thank you. Trustees, any questions of Dr. Pune on her report? Dr. Pune, my question on the MRI is: uh, what, what metrics are we? Uh, what metrics are helping to guide our assessment of of improvement or non-improvement? Um, you know, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm not involved with the metrics part right now. All I know is okay. hearing complaints from my hospitalists that sometimes their patients are sitting for an extra day or two waiting for an MRI, um, and it's, you know. We're a stroke center. We have a lot of uh, MRIs that we have to do. Uh, so, you know, that's where that's mostly where, where we're at now. I mean, I, I'd love to see, you know, I'm sure that the radiology department will, will be following those metrics. But I, I definitely know that I, I've heard enough, a lot of complaints, a number of complaints over the last few months about this. And we've, we've asked, we've, you know, we've, we've asked about this. Yeah. So, so maybe an opportunity to engage with our radiology department because, uh, you know, for example, a cool data data set might be time to order to time to completion. And, uh, right. you know, we, we are all guided by our last worst experience. And uh, uh, that's where the kind of the data helps us to clarify whether we're actually getting better or not. I think that would be uh, helpful. Uh, Mr. Frasky, I see your hand up, sir. Yes, thank you, Trustee Bouquet. Regarding radiology, our new director of radiology, Troy Ashford, is all over this. Um, he knows about the difficulties, and I would measure it by access, um, frankly, you know, how quickly it takes to, to access. Um, the intent is he's working to provide weekend MRI services at Alameda. So that, that's in the works, um, whereas we can move more outpatient volume on the weekends, creating more space as needed with the inpatient. And, you know, he'll, the backlog, and I think I presented this last, at last month's board meeting um, regarding the backlog there as well, and maybe it wasn't, it was mammography. But anyway, radiology, the MRI he's working on by, with the inclusion of weekend coverage. Thank you, Ms. Frasky. Uh, Dr. Tornabene, as you build your uh, library of potential QI projects, it sounds like uh, a quality improvement is being made. We've heard about this uh, as uh, we've heard the anecdote of it feeling long. Uh, 
uh, I, I submit maybe this is one thing to keep on your list uh, for us, maybe to hear a future presentation about. I love it. I will. Thank you, Dr. Cornerman. Trustees, any other questions of Dr. Pyun? Dr. Pyun, thank you very much for your presentation. Um, next, we'll have Dr. Idris Afzali of the San Leandro Hospital Leadership Committee. There he is. Good evening, Dr. Afzali. Good evening, everyone. Uh, good to be here. Um, San Leandro Leadership Committee uh, met on the 5th of October and we'll meet again in, on uh, November 2nd. Um, to start the uh, discussion, I uh, wanted to mention our, our volumes. We ended the summer uh, slightly above uh, our uh, average for pre-COVID times. Uh, our inpatient volumes uh, initially uh, a little uh, behind, uh, but we ended uh, the summer with uh, inpatient being full as well, and the volumes are improving. Uh, part of that was uh, credited to in, uh, increased vascular surgeries, uh, which brings in uh, quite a bit of business to San Leandro. Uh, so uh, there's a good movement on that front. Um, the, uh, uh, there's a slight dip uh, currently this month. There, there, there was a slight dip in volume in the ED, uh, though the inpatient uh, tends to lag behind. Uh, and that's an expected dip uh, through uh, Thanksgiving uh, and then holidays will start to increase with January and February traditionally the busiest months uh, of the year, uh, which uh, I think will hold true this year uh, with the anticipated heavy flu season compared to a, a relative low last year. Um, uh, as far as quality issues go, there's nothing new to report. Uh, previously, there was an RCA with uh, plan to make changes to the ED arrival process, which I've dubbed, dubbed the ED arrival renovation project, uh, which is uh, set for two phases. Phase one of it uh, requires uh, uh, changing location where initially KGs and lab draws happen, uh, as well as moving uh, some of the offices around, uh, has uh, is essentially completed, happy to say, and that's uh, ahead of schedule. Uh, and I wanted to thank everyone's support on that. Uh, Mark, Mr. Fratsky, uh, Darshan, who was a, who's a great supporter of that uh, move, uh, as well as uh, uh, support services and engineering at San Leandro. Um, phase two is uh, still uh, in relative planning phases, and this is the, the critical phase of moving triage and registration out to the, to the waiting room. Uh, uh, to do a, a sort of a team arrival process. Uh, it will be a, a more uh, challenging project uh, because it requires some uh, physical restructure and movement of existing services, but I think it's doable and I'm uh, uh, hopeful that we'll have updates on that uh, in January uh, or February at the latest. Um, and uh, last item I wanted to mention was related to capacity. I already mentioned that vascular surgery volumes are, are going up and then uh, looking forward to pain medicine coming to San Leandro in, uh, in November. Uh, there's no significant adverse uh, events to report uh, and I'll pause there for any questions. Thanks for that report, Dr. Zali. Trustees, any questions of Dr. Zali? Dr. Rizali, prior uh, uh, reports have uh, discussed aging equipment and access to specialty services. I don't think I've heard that in a month or two. 
can you advise? <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, I, I, I just followed up on the on the aging equipment issue. Um, so monitors are expected we're expected to have uh, mid December. Uh, I huh. thought it was November, but it's mid December. We're expecting eleven new monitors in the ED. Uh, so we'll have a, a Christmas present a little early, hopefully. Um, uh, now, those were expected to arrive earlier, but uh, because of COVID, uh, there, there's, there were delays in shipping. Um, yeah, there's this worldwide supply chain thing apparently going on. Right. <laughs> so they, they've, been, they've been ordered. They, they, are, they are coming. They will get here eventually uh, and hopefully before Christmas. Uh, yeah, those monitors are critical. As far as equipment goes, if there's, that's that's the one thing that ED desperately needs today. Um, uh, a discussion about specialty coverage. Can you advise on that one? Uh, yeah. Um, so uh, the, the the referral process that uh, that Dr. Pierre mentioned earlier, uh, well, hopefully tomorrow we'll have a, a go live date for the three subspecialties. Uh, it's tomorrow's the go live date. No, tomorrow we should have an update on when. Oh, oh got it. Got it. Will be. Okay. Got it. Um, yeah, there's a there's a test for the for the pilot uh, that that's going to be happening tomorrow, and if all goes well, we'll get an update on that. Um, and so referrals to the subspecialty clinics is critical. These three subspecialties are going to be the test subspecialties, and hopefully, we can expand uh, that project to the rest of the uh, uh, of the clinics. Uh, you know, we have our neurosurgery consult service available at San Leandro. Uh, Dr. Smith and I, and this is this is a, a bit uh, early to announce, but Dr. Smith and I are looking at uh, uh, potentially uh, uh, having remote uh, consults for OB patients that are less than 20 weeks of gestation that have non-OB related medical conditions that uh, are appropriate for admission at the community sites. Uh, but more to come on that, still working through the details. Um, you know, the uh, COVID has presented a, a an opportunity with technology and, and remote patient access that I think we should continue to take uh, advantage of that, you know, with services that San Leandro really has no hope of uh, ever uh, sustaining on its own, uh, especially neurosurgery, OB-GYN, um, and the like. Uh, and so uh, you know, my hope is that we continue to build on these efforts. Um, um. Not a substitute for uh, in-person consults, but there's, you know, realistically, we have no hope of getting an, in, you know, uh, neurosurgeon to staff San Leandro. We just don't have the volume. I'll, I'll, I'll do a shameless plug here. Also, the first patient um, from San Leandro to go to John Muir Medical Center interventional endoscopy happened last week as well. And, but, uh, and yes, that's very well, well received. Thank you much. The ERCP has been. Uh, you know, my, my hope is that eventually we can get our own service at AHS, uh, but the John Muir plan has been uh, endorsed by our hospitalists. Uh, and, uh, I, the, uh, thank Kudos to the transfer. I'm speaking as a division chief here, not as a trustee. Kudos to the transfer center. I think they made it seamless um, for for everyone, and that patient got there, I think, within a day or day, day plus or so, uh, which is sort of uncalled for, I mean, un, unheard of before. So, Thank you, Dr. Afzali, on that one. Uh, trustees, any other questions of Dr. Afzali from San Leandro? Barring none, none, we'll close out with Dr. Brandon Besh, our Acting Chief of Staff for um, Alameda Health Systems, the Corps. Good evening, Dr. Besh. Good evening. Um, 
So this is the first time I'm presenting the new dashboard, kind of from the presentations of the uh, of the division or the department chairs, OB-GYN with Dr. Kevin Smith and orthopedics with Dr. Guido DiStefano. Um, and so those are in your packet. I wasn't going to share my screen um, so you can look at them. But some of the things that I wanted to point out was um, Dr. Smith was celebrating the, a year anniversary of beloved Black Birth Centering, um, which is amazing work. And they've gotten a lot of moms through that. And they've gotten over a half a million dollars in funding for it as well um, through different organizations, which was very exciting. And I think the other thing is he said they've learned a lot from talking to the moms about what's helped help them in this process. So the, that qualitative component um, that I referred to earlier, I think is really important. Also, they had they opened a pelvic pain clinic, um, and he said that some of the services they're offering through that clinic may be um, the only ones in the East Bay. So very exciting to have a pelvic pain clinic, which is something um, that is definitely underserved in the East Bay and in Alameda County. Um, for the orthopedics report, um, they're, they were excited about expansion and rapid improvement events in the OR. They've been very busy on the ambulatory side. Um, and so the, the volumes have been high and very happy with the capital equipment they re received in the last, uh, I guess, year or a few months, six months to a year, which has been great for them. Also, PM&R PM and the rehab unit at San Leandro are, continue to be busy and doing well. Um, they do have some staffing needs, but otherwise doing well. Um, any questions? I guess I'll stop there since this is a new format. Any questions that I can possibly answer or bring up from that, um, from that, uh, the, the, the documents in the packet? Trustees, comments or questions for Dr. Besh? Dr. Besh, I think you and I have had private discussions give, giving, uh, giving a, a little spotlight to the work at the, at the department and division level, I think is something that, that the, this board will appreciate because there's, there's work behind all of this as well at the clinical level. So highlighting that is, is, is uh, uh, particularly appreciated. Trustee Jensen. Thank you, um, Dr. Bash. Uh, on the first page um, of the obstetrics gynecology board report, um, there was a, the, under quality and patient safety, it says regulatory TJC findings 220 survey. So um, that's that's in there, and I'm just wondering what if if you can. Tell. Yeah, I think I think there was a. I think it should say no. Was it was it okay. were there no, <laughs> yeah. no TJC findings? I yeah. think I think that was the the point, but I can't <laughs> quite remember. Uh, but I vaguely remember that coming up and it being there none. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but but I don't remember the details. The importance of, of two letters, huh? Yeah. Um, and the other, on the next page of that report, the um, the financing, grant funding, and research. There's a mifepristone. Is that the word? Mifepristone. Mifepristone. Some steroid, anyway. There's a, uh, and I'm just curious. Maybe maybe one of the physicians can tell me what is the um, why the research into that is. Um, what it is? I'm curious. I definitely do not have that information. <laughs> I don't know. Doctor, Doctor Smith just joined, so he might be able to shed light on that. He was just logging in. Um, and right. Well, that it, it's. I can look it up. 
Yeah, I, I, I can. I, I can also let um, Dr. Smith know, and he can, and uh, send, he'll send an email to the to the board. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Sharp eye, Trustee Jensen. Sharp eye. Yeah. Um, um, please continue. And so, yeah, and so then for the other part of my report, I'm going to combine it probably into like three parts. Um, so and kind of mix and match through through the the next few bullet points. But I wanted to briefly talk about staffing shortage and mainly throughput. Um, I think staffing shortages, I think this came up at the full board last month. I think we're very concerned about nursing and physicians, especially in the ambulatory and some of the specialty areas. And so we look forward to hearing more planning around that um, uh, from the physician side of things. And then I think the other exciting piece is that we had our a first meeting with Huron um, with Mark Fratsky and Mark Brown. And I'm going to be one of the leaders in that group with Sheila Lizewa and some other, other leaders um, looking at patient-centered rounds, transfers within our system, and ED to inpatient flow. And so excited for that to kick off in November um, and moving forward and hopefully provide um, safe and timely and effect, effective care for our patients. Um, the other piece was the whole system quality. Um, I think I wanted to share, um, share maybe a brief patient story um, that kind of talks about how we need kind of this standardized system of quality. And this is a, this is a patient that, that I actually discharged in July, but his story started way before that in that I, I, I just went back a year and he had 32 emergency room visits and 18 inpatient admissions for alcohol withdrawal. And, um, and almost all every hospitalist knows this patient at Highland Hospital and some at San Leandro too. And, and over time, he got to know all the teams and we tried different things. And ultimately in July, I was able to discharge him with the help, a massive amount of help from our care transitions team, our social worker, our care manager and our care manager leader for this patient. And I, I checked in with him today, and he he is sober still from July. And so this goes, and he and he's had he's had two easy visits for for other things that were very reasonable emergency room visits, but nothing for alcohol. And so it was it's a great success story in our organization. But what I think we need to look at is that you know we're we were doing the safety safe things for him in the hospital but was the discharge safe for this patient was it timely it was definitely not timely it took it took us over years to kind of come up with this plan and and get him um uh get him to the place where he needed and was it effective did did we have the right people at the right place to take care of him and were we following best practices when we discharged him was it efficient um, you know, I think that eventually it was. We got the right team together, and it was the right for his care. And then was it equitable? So this is a Spanish-speaking patient. And so, so I think that there are barriers to when a patient doesn't speak our language and where they can go to rehab for substance use disorders. And then finally, is it patient-centered? And ultimately, this one is. It's a huge success story that really, um, really drives home how patient-centered we can be. But my, my thought when thinking about this and thinking about whole system quality is, did we meet this patient initially where he needed to be met? Did we really understand what his qualitative needs were and what we can do as an organization? And how do we standardize this across the system? And so we're not going to capture everyone, right? There's always going to be the one or two cases that are outliers. But in this case, I think that there are numerous cases like this where we can standardize these processes and improve that 
put care in that steep model for all these patients that come through that are really challenging, um, especially at Highland Hospital, where we see them all the time. And so I just wanted to share that. And that's something that I'm thinking a lot about and talking about with the MEC and with our leaders and moving forward. And I just recently had a meeting with um, uh, Anna Torres talking about quality as well. So I'm excited to build on this journey. And then the last piece that kind of ties into this is OPPE um, from a, which was a joint commission will get reported out that, that, well, I haven't seen the final report, but I know it'll be on there is building OPPE. And so how do we build the metrics so that Dr. Bench, can you can you define remember for the oh, trusting the public what OPPE sorry. is? <laughs> um, uh, oh my gosh! And now ongoing now professional on practice it. evaluations. Yes, <laughs> operational practice, um, <laughs> provider practice evaluation. And so this is this is something that's um, required by the joint commissions that we do at least once a year for all medical staff, and and we have actually a pretty good process in place. But we needed we need that data and the metrics and the clear goals of what we're trying to obtain through OPPE. And I look forward to building that with um, the medical staff, the quality department, and the executive team at AHS. So that's one of our huge projects over the next few months. Oh, and with that, I will end my report. Thanks for that great report, Dr. Besh. Trustees, any questions of Dr. Besh? I tip my hat to Dr. Besh for using uh, the steep criteria from Dr. Berwick. It, 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 again, when when it, when it's there in front of you, it sort of makes it a lot more digestible and easy. Uh, you know, talking about quality, and I know uh, Dr. Besh and myself are are converts to that way. Um, so, um, I'm looking for any other hands or comments. I don't see any. Thank you uh, to the three doctors for your presentations as always. With that, we will close out item C and we'll go to item D as in David, the patient safety regulatory affairs and quality TNM dashboard. Uh, 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 this is Dr. Felicia Tornabene, our interim chief medical officer, Anna Torres, yay, our new uh, VP of quality, um, Darshan Graywall, our system director of patient safety, Nilda Perez, our system director of regulatory affairs, and Annette Johnson, our quality analytics director. Boy, do we have a really powerful team right there. So um, uh, I will uh, give it to Dr. Tornabene and let her navigate this uh, agenda item. Sure, great. Um, so I'll be starting with a high level um, summary of our True North metric dashboard, our patient safety report, and uh, a regulatory affairs report. And then um, uh, Ms. Torres will go into a deeper dive um, in terms of the regulatory affairs report by sharing some details on our recent um, mock survey at AHS. So I will start first with our True North, True North metric uh, dashboard. And as we've been doing lately, I'll just talk through it without having it up on, on the screen. Um, and so starting first with um, our metrics. So um, when I presented last month, um, I, I shared that we still weren't at target yet for the month of um, July in our um, third next available appointment for primary care. Unfortunately, we again didn't meet the, the mark on that. And indeed, um, we are trying to recruit more primary care providers in order to fill some of the holes that are contributing uh, to some of these um, delays in getting our patients into primary care. In terms of our specialty care, 
Um, we had a decline in our performance for the month of August. We think that it's likely because of the short-term provider leaves, meaning people taking some vacation, um, and likely that should come. That performance should um, return back for the September month, but we'll see um, at next month's report. Um, next was our throughput metrics, or the three next um, metrics on the dashboard. So our observed to expected length of stay, we did meet that. However, our unadjusted length of stay is still above target. And our median time from decision to admit to the patient then um, being admitted into the hospital is quite long. Our performance at, at Highland is significantly worse than at, at um, Alameda and San Leandro. As Dr. Besh referred to, um, we are entering into a strong engagement with Huron in order to really dig deep into the throughput issues. And I'm very excited to see what comes out of that uh, initiatives and the three working groups looking at different areas of throughput whether it's pulling patients up to the floors from the ED or whether it's the um, multidisciplinary rounds or more patient-centered rounds. So I'm excited to see what comes out of that engagement. And certainly we have um, uh, physician leaders deeply engaged, as Dr. Besh said. Um, moving on to our QIP metrics on target. So we are still not on target. By the end of this calendar year, we need to have met 90% of our quip metrics. However, there is a possibility that we will, that DHCS, um, the Department of Healthcare Services, the state of California will have a COVID mitigation. And so there is a possibility that we might just have pay for reporting instead of pay for performance. For some metrics, we're still waiting on the state to hear about the COVID mitigation plan. However, nonetheless, um, no one is taking their feet off the gas and all of the improvements that are underway um, with our quip metrics. Um, and we continue to, to have that structure under um, our leadership and value-based care. In terms of all-cause um, readmits, so if you recall last month, um, our when I presented this, our performance for the month of July was stunning. Um, it has come back, uh, meaning our performance declined a little bit, though nev nevertheless, um, we are still um, hitting our goal for the month of August. Um, we did um, uh, have... Uh, as more patients um, came through billing and coding, we did find a, a few more readmissions that will be attributed to the month of July. So our performance um, for that month um, uh, continues to be quite good, um, but not as good as the um, as the initial metric I presented last month. Uh, nevertheless, it's it's a great trend. I'm very excited to share that we had no hospital-acquired infections for the system for all of August. That is incredible work. I have talked to, to Dr. Ellis to try and understand you know, some of uh, what's behind this and driving this. Um, and uh, our infection prevention team has been doing more device rounding. Um, that means that um, there are, our infection prevention team is really monitoring um, all of our patients when um, some of our inpatients have either central lines in or urinary catheters in, and those types of lines really increase our patient's risk of infection. And so um, we increased our device rounding so that we're really questioning, hey, does this device need to be in today? Because if we can decrease those line days, then we decrease harms to our patients. Um, in addition, I think I've previously reported that 
our surgical site infection performance had declined. And again, our infection prevention team partnered with physician leaders in, in doing a dive into this. And what we found is that um, uh, we had changed the availability of certain antibiotics in the Pixis and the OR. Once we made that available again, again, we're just engineering the system to make things available, making it easier for everyone to do the right thing, um, then that has contributed to an improved performance in our uh, surgical site infections. Moving on, lastly, to patient experience, Dr. Besh alluded to a really great session we had in our department leaders meeting um, last week. Um, that that uh, meeting is led by Mr. Frosky and Mr. Jackson. And in that, we had a great series of breakout sessions where we engaged our leaders on ideas of how to improve our patient experience. And so I think there are gonna be great ideas coming out of that. Um, you know, Most importantly, again, said by Dr. Besh is really hearing from our patients, how can we make their experience better? Um, uh, we did not hit our target for the month of August for our patient experience. That target is the 50th percentile. Um, and again, for our ambulatory patient experience metrics, you, say, uh, you see here on your dashboard that the goal is pending, we actually have the decided on that goal, and that is the 50th percentile for um, FQHCs, Federally Qualified Health Centers. So we're trying to compare ourselves to like um, uh, ambulatory settings, and our goal is 84.2%. We will put that in um, your next month's True North, Metric, True, True North Metric dashboard, but we did not hit that goal, um, unfortunately, but there is work going around, going um, uh, uh, into uh, using GIFT, uh, which is how we um, greet our patients. And then first touch resolution, which is that when a patient calls that we try and, and get an answer to their concern or their question really on that first touch. So then moving on now to the patient safety report. So uh, unfortunately, our, our harm rate did increase from August to September. Now in looking at these harms, and these are harms that reach our patients, uh, a large percentage of them are skin events. So we're gonna have to do a deeper look into what is driving these skin events. Now, interestingly, we've seen skin events increase as COVID surges go up. And so um, COVID, the, our COVID numbers were coming down, of course, in the month of September. So I don't know um, whether there was an impact um, there, but we'll need to look at our, um, uh, look back at how we avoid any sort of skin injuries and see if there's any modifications that we need to do there. The Dr. Tornabene, yeah, can, uh -huh. can you remind our trustees what what an example of a skin uh, injury? Oh yes, of course. Um, so um, when a, when a patient is hospitalized, oftentimes that patient is so sick that they might not be very mobile in bed. And if you are laying in bed and not moving, you're putting a lot of pressure on one area of your skin, on your back on your spine, on, on parts of your hips, and that can cause injury to the skin and cause skin breakdown that can be very injurious to patients. So we do a lot to help prevent pressure injuries for our patients. Thank you, Dr. Pornabe. Sure. Uh, so uh, in terms of the patient relations events, those also um, uh, are on an increasing trend. What we're again seeing is around communication with families, um, 
And I want to share a patient story for, from uh, this past weekend when I was on service. And this really, truly demonstrated, is it, to me, a good demonstration of why we need families at our bedside um, to help with communication. So um, I had a patient on my service who had, a few years ago, had a very significant stroke. And he could not talk. He could only make kind of a few kind of phonations. He couldn't actually form any words. And he did not speak English. Um, so English was a second language. He could understand some things, but he couldn't actually form words in order to communicate with us as healthcare workers. However, his wife and his son could understand him completely. They knew exactly what he was trying to say. And so we were able to have his family at his bedside 24 hours a day with him um, in order to truly communicate with his healthcare workers. And that was such a gift um, so that I was able to speak via translator with his family and his family then was able to help um, kind of uh, help me understand what he was saying to them in his with his gestures and with the phonations that he was making. This is truly, and it is just one example of something that happens really every minute in our hospitals and why we need to, why I'm excited that some of, we again are adjusting our, our visitation policy and now are allowing two, two family members or two guests with our, our, our patients um, on the inpatient setting, it's so important in order to really provide context um, for, for, for us to learn the context of our patients and to improve their experience. So then moving on next to the, the score survey. So uh, our action plans, as uh, we've shared before, are all um, uh, in effect and they're supposed to be completed by the end of the year. Something though I'm so excited about, and um, this is being led by Darshan Graywall, is the implementation of um, Just Culture at Alameda Health System. We are embarking, and they've already started, a series of four-hour trainings to leaders. Over 350 leaders will get four hours of training on, on Just Culture. And then after that, in the first, cal first quarter calendar year of 2022, um, all AHS staff will have a one-hour training on uh, Just Culture. Um, I'm so excited uh, about that that's coming. And then lastly, on patient safety, is the Quality and Patient Safety Innovation Award. This is just a plea for more applicants. We are working on more. There's so much quality improvement and innovation across AHS, and we like to recognize that. And so we are soliciting uh, more applicants for that. Now, lastly, moving on to the Regulatory Affairs Report, uh, we uh, had no Sentinel events um, in the month of September. We did have a call um, uh, with the Joint Commission about um, uh, falls at San Leandro Hospital. I really want to commend the leadership at San Leandro Hospital for digging deep. And they were recognized as, tru as truly going above and beyond in, in terms of their action plan. Um, moving on to our Alameda Hospital um, kitchen licensing that has been licensed and I believe opened on Monday. I haven't had a chance to see it yet. Um, I've been there. <laughs> been there, good. It's I can't beautiful. wait to I can't wait to see it. And then lastly, moving on to our mock survey, and Ms. Torres will um, uh, give us the presentation on that. But before we move to Ms. Torres, I'm happy to take any questions on anything that I've gone through. 
Dr. Tornamenti, thank you so much for that. Uh, and the executive summary on one page, very readable. So uh, I think that's really appreciated. Trustees, any questions of Dr. Tornabene before we go on to Ms. Torres? Ms. Torres, floor is yours. Okay, thank you. So earlier this month, we had Joint Commission Resources, who are really consultants for the Joint Commission, come out and uh, conduct a mock survey of Highland Hospital. And the purpose is to identify any issues or any areas of noncompliance with the Joint Commission standards and the CMS conditions of participation. So we had four individuals, two nurses, a physician, and an engineer out for four days um, looking at our hospital. They looked at it from top to bottom. Um, I will quickly um, talk about the findings. Um, I do want to mention the strengths. Um, I had the opportunity to uh, tag along with them. That was my second week at the organization. It was a great way for me to um, see the place and get to know the individuals involved. Uh, what the Joint Commission did mention, and it's the very first uh, bullet point, is that we had very engaged staff and leadership, including medical staff leadership. And I actually uh, do want to echo that. I thought it was wonderful that when the Joint Commission actually shared this with someone earlier this week, when the Joint Commission Resources Surveyor was out interviewing staff and asking to look at charts, we didn't see people hide, which is normally what people do. People don't want to um, be put on the spot, but we had our staff was just wonderful about answering questions and trying to identify any areas that they can improve and asking about best practices. So that willingness um, was fantastic to see. Um, the hospital was really clean and well-maintained despite the volume and activity. GI department, there were issues last uh, with the last Joint Commission survey with the GI area, and those processes are now hardwired and uh, the staff in SPD were very knowledgeable. Um, so they they actually um, identified that those were one of our best practices. Um, as far as the disaster uh, response, the availability of PPE during the pandemic was also cited as, as, a, as a great thing. Um, in the inpatient nursing units, um, there were very few findings in the inpatient nursing units, which again is unusual because that's where most of the findings typically come. You know, they, when the Joint Commission um, consultants and Joint Commission come out and they're reviewing uh, our practices, they, they're really tracing um, across the organization. So they pick a patient and they look at the care the patient gets from the time the patient walks in. They look at all the transitions in care. They look at all the documentation. And in spite of all that, there was very few findings in the inpatient nursing units. Uh, the culture of safety um, commitment uh, from the organization was also cited as, as a good practice. Uh, Joint Commission, along with CMS, really are focusing on the culture of safety in hospitals and patient safety work that's occurring. Um, and what was nice to see when they went out to the units and interviewed staff, the staff knew that a survey had been conducted, they knew that they had received the results, and they knew that they were working on action plans, which are all due by the end of the year. Um, so we got kudos for all of that. Um, there were a few areas of improvement, however, which the whole reason we brought them out is to identify where we could improve. Um, the improvement areas were put into four buckets. One is the environment of care and life safety, which really talks to the environment itself um, and fire safety. Um, a lot of those findings there are related to uh, paperwork. Those are really quick fixes or doors that may have been blocked. 
um, infection control with some issues related to disinfection, cleaning, um, and hand hygiene for 2020. Um, provision of care, we had some standards that uh, they didn't see full evidence of implementation, um, and there were issues with the EPIC navigation. Not that the system itself was, was uh, there was a problem with it, but in being able to find some items in the medical record. And then leadership were related to policies and procedures, and as Dr. Besh mentioned, the OPPE process, and we'll be taking a closer look at that. Um, so our action plan is that we've... Um, the way we're going to approach this, we're going to have four teams um, to address each of those four areas. There will be an operational leader for each of the teams, along with an individual or two from regulatory affairs to help um, ensure that the action plans get implemented. Um, there will be a lot of findings, so we will help the teams uh, prioritize the finding using the SAFER matrix um, and provide leadership updates every two weeks. In addition to that, we're asking leadership to round at least three times a week um, and using a tool that we have once a week so that we can um, track the, uh, the resolution of the action plans. Um, in addition to that, uh, we're having the teams implement these practices across the system because we want to make sure that we're not fixing it just for Highland Hospital, but that all hospitals um, have the fix implemented. Um, Alameda Hospital is expected to have their survey by the end of November. Um, they've already had the mock survey and Ariel Harding, who's the CAO over there, is leading Joint Commission readiness uh, meetings to make sure that the fixes they've put into place are still there. Um, they will have their stroke certification uh, sometime between the end of this year and March 2022. Uh, San Leandro and John George will receive a review by Joint Commission Resources in the next week or two. Um, so they will also get an intensive review and we'll see what um, what other issues we need to address. And the Joint Commission window has already opened and we expect Joint Commission um, to survey us by uh, early 2023. Are there any questions I can answer? Thank you for that walkthrough. I think uh, just from my perspective, before I let any of the team jump in, I think it, uh, it's my impression, and I want to hear from the quality team, that the investment in the Joint Commission resources was a was a sound investment for us to help guide. I see Nilda smiling, and I want I want Nilda to speak up. Um, uh, well, I'm always seeing Nilda walking around. When I saw her at Alameda Hospital the other day. Nilda, will you comment? Uh, yes, certainly. Um, I do think that it was um, uh, the re it was a very wise investment to engage Joint Commission Resources, not just merely for the fact that they came out and performed a survey for us, but really for their continuing support toward uh, the corrective actions. So we will have them as a resource uh, to review. We actually have utilized them even prior to the mock survey with some of the corrective actions we had from our uh, resurvey and in between the resurvey and the follow-up survey there were some corrective actions that we needed to put in place for patient care services which I actually do think uh, contributed to the good the good performance by Highland nursing units and patient care services during this survey uh, mock survey so I think it's um it's a relationship um, it's our first time uh, doing the the membership as a member of, of CSR and um, we still have more things coming down the pike uh, breakfast briefings and uh, more education. So it's really, I think, helping to build that infrastructure and that 
uh, bench strength that we need across leaders. So like as the, one of the previous uh, folks asked, if people if people leave and come and go, you know, we want to know that that knowledge stays here at Alameda Health System. That is part of our infrastructure. Thank you, Ms. Perez. Yeah, I, I, in you know, in the in the um, checkout that they had, I, I must say uh, some of the feedback stung. Uh, but as they say, if we really believe that all feedback is a gift, which we should, uh, we're going to take it. And you, but they they did give us a good, uh, if you will, battle plan of things that we need to focus on. And I, I want to remind uh, everyone in the room, uh, we, uh, you know, over a year ago, um, we had uh, one of the darkest moments in the organization when the Joint Commission gave us five condition level findings. Those were infection control, surgical services, environment of care, patients' rights, and governing body. Uh, and what we do not want is a redux of that, of course. So my question to the quality team, and I'm gonna defer to our CEO is, do you, does the quality team feel that they have the resources to help navigate us through the guidance uh, that the JCR has given us? What do you need? I threw the meatball at you. Got to hit it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think that we, um, we're still strategizing, but I think that the plan that, that's been put into place by the executive leadership with having an operational leader um, take the lead on that um, is going to go a long way in helping us get our work done because it doesn't just rely on quality getting it done. We need the leaders to actually um, come up with the plan and to actually live it. Um, they're the ones that are doing the work every day, and it's got to be workable for them. So I think that's going to go a long way. Um, also with the rounding, because the rounding is not only going to be done by you know, this team, it's got to be done by the entire leadership team. Um, so I think that's going to go a long way, and I think at the end of that, we'll probably reassess and see if we need anything else. Um, Nilda hit the nail on the head, though, that we need to move from sort of a reactive to a proactive survey readiness. So she's got breakfast briefings plan, which is going to be uh, educational for all the leaders. Um, we're also going to look to set up um, um, joint commission readiness meetings and, and so forth, because the goal is really to be ready at all times and not to have to ramp up. We'll still need the, the mock surveys to continue to let us know where we're falling short. Um, but we are on our journey towards um, looking at how we can stay survey ready at all times. Are, are we scheduled for another visit from JCR, from Joint Commission Resources? So our, uh, yes, we have a assigned uh, lead consultant with JCR, um, similar to we do with the Joint Commission. And that consultant will be out next week. Um, I'm actually be emailing out the agenda tonight um, mm -hmm. to spend two days on site one day at John George, one day at San Leandro, and uh, one day with um, is actually open for sitting down and reviewing the mock survey findings with us, advising us on the prioritization of some of the findings and our plans. And um, I'm also going to open that up to the operational leaders for the work groups and um, of course our, our leadership uh, team uh, to attend um, and sit down with her and ask any questions um, in terms of preparation, but it is a on we will have availability of that resource um, after next week as well. It, it's a, again a relationship that will continue, um, but they will be coming out and actually be on site. So we've already I've already spoken to John George and San Leandro about where we should focus and we already have a game plan for where we're, what we'll do those two days. 
Yes, ma'am. Thank you. You're Mr. Welcome. Jackson, sir. Thank you very much, Chair Bouquet. And um, you said it, um, hearing those results stung. And so going into it, I had a, a nagging fear of complacency having set in after the most recent successful survey. And to some extent that was, I think, vindicated by what we saw. But, you know, um, Ms. Torres said it, this is the this is an opportunity for us. And we have put some things in place that we believe are gonna allow us to, to rally and to make sure that we are that continuously ready organization. Um, she talked about the rounding, which is gonna be multidisciplinary and will be led by executives. And so this is something, it will not be people saying, well, there's quality, they're always here bothering us. This is going to be operational executives who are looking at the situation on the ground. Something else significant that Mark Fratsky has put in place is that Mark Brown, our CAO for Highland, now will have responsibility for sterile processing across the system. And so bringing some standard work to how we're managing the sterile processing um, operation across the system. And so we don't have the um, inconsistency, if you will, that we have seen thus far. So um, this is a, it's a wake up call, it's a challenge, but I think with uh, Ms. Torres and Ms. Perez on points from quality and um, with the executive work that's been identified, I'm confident that we're gonna um, be up to the test. Thank you, Mr. Jackson, for those words. Um, Ms. Perez. Yeah, I, um, sorry, I, I, I saw that you, you had something, to, so please add. <laughs> oh, uh, um, I, I, I appreciate the support of the executive team and uh, Dr. Tornabene and, and Anna, uh, uh, just kind of supporting the work of our team. Um, I do worry about bandwidth to provide that edu ongoing education and build that knowledge a base that needs to be present because it's not just the frontline workers, but it's also our providers. It's, you know, it's, it's a large group. Uh, of of uh, across the system, and also um, trying to help s promote system wide uh, kind of thought processes. So uh, I think we're I think we have the right folks in leadership. I, I think I can always ask for another pair of arms and legs to uh, to help uh, lift the weight. But um, um, I think I, I think I agree that I want to be very strategic in how we leverage the resources that we currently have. Uh, and see as much as we can get from that relationship with JCR and then make some plans for the future. And I, I feel confident that working with Felicia and Anna that, that we will have a good plan. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Trustee Esteen, I see a hand up. Yeah, I heard the word bandwidth and it made me wonder what resources do you think you need for that educational piece across providers and across the, the network? Oh, um, you know, um, the educational, um, the educational information is available to us, you know, just kind of, uh, that's the great thing about uh, the partners that we have. Uh, I think that, you know, uh, we have a, a five facility system um, and, and uh, I think certain aspects of it are more technically complex than others. Uh, obviously behavioral health care services, you know, never has um, enough uh, attention, I'm, I'm sure, as as we all want to give, um, and I think that you know, having also a complex system, a complex facility like Highland, um, the expansion of outpatient services and specialty care—that's another uh, area that we have to stretch as the organization stretches. So um, I, I would say that you know, probably you know, I, I do worry. Uh, I think our team is a little lean 
for the size system that we have. Uh, given some of the things that as we do this great proactive work and as people uncover, we find out more things. And so we, we want to be available to partner with everyone uh, uh, to make sure that we close the loop on, on things that are discovered. So um, I, I think that we, we run a little lean and we're always trying to look at the most efficient use of our team. So, you know, that's a very good question, uh, uh, Trustee Esteen. I, 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 uh, I feel that, you know, uh, I certainly don't feel that we're the only folks in need, but, you know, I'd like to try to strategize where we can leverage our expertise and, and also work with partners to build uh, a bigger knowledge base. So sometimes we just need an extra body to just go out there and talk to people and educate them. Thank you, Ms. Press. No, we're gonna ask you that question again, okay? okay. <laughs> um, uh, so um, just as a reminder, uh, we have two uh, hospital systems under our, uh, under the Aegis of AHS, and the Alameda Hospital is in their, uh, I, I would argue, their immediate um, uh, window for evaluation by the Joint Commission. Ms. Perez, Ms. Torres, are we, we're, we're, this is certainly before close of end of calendar year, correct? Definitely, yes. Um, it's interesting with the pan, we did get some communication from the Joint Commission in early September that um, of course the priority right now as people recover, as the rest of the nation recovers, uh, is the folks that have been overdue. We are not overdue, so that doesn't put us at the top of the list. Um, all of the colleagues in other areas that I've talked to who have any type of disease specific certification survey do have not been surveyed early. Um, if anybody has been surveyed recently, it's been right on time, like before their window closes. Our window closes at the end of November. It's, uh, I thought for sure we may have had, might have seen them. I was always every every Monday morning, um, every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday uh, morning in October. I don't think I slept because I was waking up at 4:30 saying, "Are they coming? Are they coming?" And waiting to check that website. Um, so, you know, I, we are due before the end of November, and every day that they're not here is another gift. I we had a very good meeting today on one of our system tracers. Uh, that we did for Alameda Hospital. I'm feeling very good about uh, the commitment of leadership and staff. It's just on any given day, you know, if, if people just, you know, kind of let the low hanging fruit kind of creep in, that's always right. And that's how, that's our, our opportunity as our, to shape our culture and education helps shape our culture, I would agree. Um, so thank you for your hard work. I know this is, this is, this is hard work and we, we, uh, you, uh, the quality team, and Dr. Tornabene are greatly appreciated by this board. Trustees, any other questions before we close out this item? With that, we will close out item D. Now, before we get into, if you will, the marquee presentation, the quality improvement project, I need to make a comment. This isn't for reconsideration. Council has advised me. Council, please uh, make sure I'm not getting this wrong. It looks like in the packet, uh, the bulleted forms in the agenda don't match up with the forms which were included in the packet. In the in the in the bulleted agenda items uh, for approval, item Bravo four, it says cardiovascular disease multifacility, nephrology multifacility, radiology multifacility, and vascular surgery multifacility. What was actually in the packet, which we did approve were psychiatry multifacility, radiology multifacility, vascular surgery multifacility, ambulatory care and preventative medicine nurse practitioner, ambulatory care and preventive medicine physician assistant. Did I get that right, counsel? That's correct. Thank you. 
So, so uh, I just needed to make mention of that for the record, but there's no reconsideration that needs to be made. Is that correct, sir? Correct, Chair. Okay. Thank you uh, for that catch, and sorry I missed that one. So uh, uh, with that, now we can, if you will, go to our marquee item of the evening. This is uh, uh, item E, our, our standard work is a quality improvement project. Uh, this evening, we're going to be hearing about uh, something which has gotten kudos in many venues. Uh, Dr. Beshmead mentioned of it, and it and it again deserves uh, kudos again uh, because it's a uh, it's it's uh, you just wait and hear about it. This is the the beloved Burp uh, um, Quality Improvement Project. Uh, we have two um, uh, leaders here who are going to be giving this presentation. Of course, Dr. Kevin Smith our chair of uh, obstetrics and gynecology, who's in the room, and Jaisha Ren, who's the founder and coordinator of Beloved Birth Life Centering. Dr. Smith, I'll give it to you to open. Good evening, sir. Oh, thank you, Chair Bouquet. I am going to do my best to try to share a screen here. Yeah, I'm Nobody, not good at that. <laughs> no one judge me. <laughs> Let's see. Are you seeing my screen, I hope? We are. It's not in presentation. Uh, you're about to go into presentation. Yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, now it's off. Gotcha. Well, I would just love to thank uh, our able Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Turnabene, and you, Chair Bouquet, for this invitation uh, to present to the QPSC. And it's not just because I've gotten less and less invitations since COVID, but because this is an important uh, component of the Board of Trustees. Uh, and I also want to Thank the uh, trustees, our uh, CEO, our COO, the other executives on the call, and the rest of our uh, Alameda Health System community for allowing us this audience. I have to give you a little uh, background here. The problem statement is that preterm birth rates rose for the fifth straight year in 2019. And the rate of preterm birth among African-American women was about 50% higher than the rate of those for white or Hispanic women. Black women have a 2.4-fold greater prevalence of having a low birth weight infant compared with white women. And in 2018, preterm birth uh, accounted for about 17% of infant deaths. Um, this is just another way to say that um, in the United States, prematurity and low birth weight is a, the second leading cause of all infant deaths during that first year of life among black infants. Another graphic uh, showing that the preterm birth rate among black women is higher than other women, 47%. So here's more background. We know that it's racism, not race, that is affecting healthcare outcomes and uh, health. We also know, we have data that, that shows that access to racially concordant and culturally relevant teams, such as a case manager, a doula, a midwife, nutritionist, physicians, social workers, are essential, essential components to the work that synergistically improves experiences for, for, of care for these patients, for our patients, and as well as trust in our systems. Research has also identified that 
patients feel more satisfied with the care when they receive it from clinicians with whom they share a racial identity. The other important background is at AHS, we've been doing uh, centering for quite some time, over 10 years. And centering pregnancy is known to decrease the rates of preterm and low birth weight babies, what we're, what we're trying to target. Bear with me here, pretty dense slide here. So here's our change management. We partnered with the uh, Alameda County Public Health Department to create a collaborative that you now know as the Beloved Birth Black Centering Project. And that was way back in 2019. We had uh, several challenges to launch one is at the time, as you all may recall, who were here, is we were facing a $72 million budget, which challenged our, our operations in general. Then in March of 2020, we had our pandemic. Um, so our in-person aspirations were, were um, obviated by shelter-in-place, um, appropriate shelter-in-place measures. Coincident with all of this was the murder of George Floyd, the murder of Breonna Taylor, the murder of Ab Ahmaud Aubrey, the disparate impact of COVID-19 on black uh, patients. And it actually made the impetus for this, the urgency for this even more pronounced. So what did we do? We formed the collaborative. We revised our, our launch date for the fall with a plan for uh, implementation. We started recruiting patients um, as, as, as aggressively and, and, and lovingly as we could to invite them to this new model of care. And then we had this great opportunity from the Embrace Her team from public health to support the, the launch of this uh, prenatal care model in, in spite of uh, shelter-in-place restrictions by introducing uh, uh, telehealth um, approaches to our, to our launch. And on October 1st, 2020, yes, we're a year old now, we had our, our launch of our first cohort for the Beloved Birth uh, Prenatal Care Model. And now I will turn it over to Jaisha Ren, our founder and director. Good evening, Ms. Ren. Hello. Thanks for having us. No, thanks for being here. Floor is yours. Okay. So let's see if I can figure out how to navigate through. Oh, did you advance it for me, Kevin? I did. Okay. <laughs> do you want me to go back? Okay. No, no, that's fine. That's, nope, that's good. Yep, I think everybody gets this. You know, this is our answer to this crisis. And, and really, um, 
the goal is that we have utilized all of those evidence-based strategies that Kevin talked about and put it into one package. And this is just a little, um, some images to give you a picture of who our core team is. These are the, the people that our patients are interfacing with. We've got our four midwives there on the left. Uh, we've got our two family support advocates from the public health department that provide that care coordination and co-facilitate our group visits. Um, we also have our artist, Ms. Candy Allen, who we make original artwork with for our um, Black-centric childbirth education. We have our doula coordinator, Linda Jones. We have our lactation consultant, Ms. Tonifer Kamara. And we have um, our beloved alumni, Mama Tia, who serves as our community in um, engagement and accountability lead. So that's our core team. Of course, there are many, many other people involved um, to support this and make it happen. But um, you know, our vision is really a world where black people have all the support, the loving care and resources needed to have happy, healthy, and safe pregnancies, births, and postpartum recoveries free from obstetric racism. And our mission is to be able to come from, first of all, our core truths. As Kevin stated, we know that it's racism and not race that's causing um, the poor health outcomes in the black community. And we really believe in the strength and resilience and power of black people. And we know that care for us because of this context needs to be rooted in birth justice, needs to be anti-racist. So we come from a place of just fierce love to be able to bring together all of um, the, the, you know, the holistic, culturally and racially attuned gold package of black love is what we call it essentially. And it's meant to honor and celebrate. It's meant to lift up community wisdom, voices, experiences, and acknowledge and activate our power, embrace our families in that village of support and lessen the impact of racism on perinatal health care experiences and outcomes. So just to put it in a simplistic visual form, we really have three evidence-based strategies here. So we have the centering pregnancy, which we've been doing at AHS for you know over a decade now. But what's different now with Beloved Birth is that we have the racial concordance piece. So we have an all-black care team, um, and we have wraparound social support with our partnership with the public health department and that care coordination aspect. Um, and that is really allows us to be able to ad better address the structural racism that is impacting the social determinants of health for our participants. So we call it a gold package of black love, and this is just a fun little graphic and, and that you'll hear that tagline. <laughs> we're hoping it catches out, <laughs> but we're going to uh, do some more branding with that. But um, we really want love to always be at the center and joy to be at the center, which I think is also a critical component that's been missing from disparity reduction work and is one of the things that we can bring as a black team caring for black community is that black joy piece. Um, so our model is midwifery-led, it's team-based group prenatal postpartum care. So we're really surrounding our participants with all of these disciplines. And that's something that we're going deeper with than has ever been done with centering pregnancy. We've never had such an interdisciplinary model before. And so we wanna build that out even more. We know that that interdisciplinary one-stop shop model is really the way to have the best health outcomes for our, our patients. So this just kind of recaps, um, you know, Kevin, uh, let you all know we launched October 1st. We're a year old now. We have been on a schedule of six groups a year. So we launch a new group every two months. Each group has eight to 12 people. So that allows us to serve up to 72 people a year. Um, and at the start of next year, we want to expand to 12 groups a year. So serving up to 144 people. So um, that would be more of a, a typical uh, schedule as one group every month. So we've kind of been going half pace so far in our first year. And uh, now we're, we really want to move in person and scale up. Um, our, uh, you know, 
because we launched in the middle of the pandemic, like Kevin said, we had to do a telehealth adaptation too. We were already prepared to do the black adaptation, but uh, we were not at the beginning of this uh, project prepared to do the telehealth, but we did it in a hurry and it's actually gone amazingly well. And we were one of the few centering programs around the entire country to really survive COVID-19 and continue to provide services. So we're really proud of that. And we know that our community needed us more than ever during the pandemic. People were isolated and so when it comes to safety and pregnancy, having that touch point, um, we really uh, were so happy to be able to utilize this platform, Mighty Networks, to be able to have an online program home where our participants, um, you know, 24-7 have contact with each other, with their care team, and um, they have these COVID-safe virtual groups. So we're still virtual now, but we hope to, like I said, um, move in person at the beginning of the year because we know that that is optimal um, uh, mode to be delivering centering pregnancy in. So... Um, I really want to go through some exciting data that came from a uh, feedback survey from our first group. And this is just the beginning of data we'll be reporting out on. But this is um, patient experience data that really allows us to understand that we are on the right track in addressing racism-based disparities. So I'm just going to walk you all through it. We have a report that's you know available as a resource for you afterwards. Um, but we... Uh, you know, conducted this survey and gave our participants a kind of Likert scale model way to respond to a variety of statements. And um, what's really just amazing is that all of our participants, um, and this was an anonymous feedback survey, but all of our participants um, that responded to this survey from the first group um, unanimously agreed um, and, and with very uh, strong effect in many of these cases. So they were all unanimously satisfied with the model of care. Now, usually that's where the, the survey ends in terms of, you know, evaluation of centering and many, um, you know, patients uh, surveys is, is where you satisfied with the care. You know, that's, that's kind of our state metric, but we went very far beyond that. We wanted to know a much more detail. Um, so we asked, you know, um, did it lower stress? And uh, people agreed that it lowered stress in pregnancy, it lowered stress postpartum, and the model um, helped support uh, lactation. It allowed them to successfully um, breast slash body feed. And this is in the um, context, of course, of viral pandemic. So um, we already have lower rates of um, uh, breast and body feeding in the Black community due to the history of racism. And so to be able to have almost all of our participants exclusively breastfeeding and reporting that this program allowed them to better do that, we think is, a, is also a really exciting thing. We're going to be going deeper on those numbers and that data. Um, another thing we asked about was like family bonding, rights, advocacy, and resources. So all of our participants agreed that the program um, helped them and uh, their families connect and bond with each other and their babies and help them understand their rights and better advocate for themselves, um, which is super important in our Black community when, again, we're targeting um, racism-based disparities. So um, that autonomy piece, that rights piece is really important, and we spend a lot of time teaching on that. Um, and so our participants really appreciated that. Also um, agreed that the program gave them uh, access to resources and supplies that help them have a healthier, safer pregnancy. So we give them tote bags full of supplies so they don't have to buy so many things, and they have safe sleeping, they have car seats, they have all kinds of things. Um, and we asked directly about racism, racism-based disparities. So um, everybody agreed that, um, first of all, before joining the program, you know, when becoming pregnant, they did feel worried about the high numbers of pregnancy and birth complications in the black community. And um, this is something, you know, that uh, was happening all the time before we launched the program um, that, uh, you know, black pregnant people that would come into care that I would come into contact with um, either you know, would know about the statistics, but um, often not know why. 
and just be scared, um, be worried about encountering racism in their care, be worried, is it something wrong with them um, that we are just predestined to have complications as black women in pregnancy? Um, and that increases stress. And so, uh, you know, our, our participants definitely did echo that. And they also said that um, being in beloved birth uh, helped them to feel uh, less concerned about experiencing complications due to racism. And we spent a lot of time on that in our in our groups is breaking all that stuff down. So uh, the impacts of the black care team, our participants reported that it gave them a greater sense of trust and safety and that it um, made them feel a greater sense of supportive community. And they all agreed that they felt seen, heard and respected and honored and celebrated as a black woman or birthing person. And they all said that they would join the group again in a future pregnancy or that they would um, recommend it to a friend. <laughs> and so um, we just, uh, you know, we're, we're just getting started. This is this is our first uh, you know, final feedback survey and, and there will be much more to come. Um, but we really know, you know, we're really excited to see the clinical outcomes as well and look forward to being able to report that, um, share that out with our institutions and the community. Um, but we know that with this experience, we are getting at the root cause of this problem. We're getting at racism. We're getting at, um, you know, all of the different mechanisms of action that racism, you know, harms our, our health through. And so we know that if we can do that, we have faith that we can move the needle on statistics like preterm birth and low birth weight. And so next steps include um, increasing staffing and training in our system um, and also a research and evaluation partnership with UC Berkeley. So uh, the UC Berkeley Wallace Center for Maternal and Child Health is very, very excited to help us crunch all of this data that we, I can't give you those outcomes right now. Why? Because we don't have a research team. <laughs> so we desperately need, and I have no time. I started to do it myself. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Not going to happen. So um, we desperately need a research team so that we can fully understand, you know, what are all the impacts we're making? Where do we need to, you know, do, um, you know, tweak the model, do quality improvement. Be, we want to be responsive to all of that. So um, they're super excited to partner with us. We're developing that out now. Um, and we'll be looking at, you know, quantitative, qualitative data, um, lots of different things. And um, also capacity building support from Tipping Point. So um, we have secured, we've now been, become a Tipping Point grantee. Uh, Tipping Point Foundation has been um, so supportive and is looking forward to um, providing lots of capacity building support for us in the coming year. So that will really help us to be able to achieve our mission um, as well. Branding and social media. So we got to get out there in, in the community. And um, we now have a, um, you know, help from a social media uh, team that's going to be, you know, helping support that, um, that messaging out in the community. And um, transition to in-person groups. Like I said, at the start of the year, we're really hoping, you know, January, February, March to be getting that in place. We've got to get our room ready. We're um, so far just a kind of a homeless you know, program in the, in the virtual space. And so we need a home, we need a, a physical space and we got to fix it up and, and make it reflect the gold pack to black love. So we're super excited about that um, to offer our patients a, a real home to be in and a community advisory board. So we know this year, you know, we, we need to develop a community advisory board of program alumni to guide, um, you know, our program design and model, to advise on our research uh, questions and design and to um, advise on our program materials. So uh, we wanna make sure that we are accountable to the community, that we are community led. We wanna take that really seriously. So um, we are gonna be developing a community advisory board in the near future. 
Thank you. That's all we have for you tonight. Thank, thank you, Dr. Smith and Ms. Wren. So now uh, will hopefully be the cool part where we have a cool discussion about it. Um, Ms. Perez, oh, that's an applause, not a hand up. Trustees, man, there's so many cool things to talk about. Let's go. Okay, I'll start off. Ms. Wren, can you talk to me about the sustainability model? And I may, may have missed this. Is this great? Talk to me about sustainability. How do you keep this thing running? Because, you know, no no margin, no mission, right? So how are you going to keep it? What's the plan? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So first of all, we make more money on a centering visit than we do on an individual one-to-one visit, first of all. Okay. So when you say we make more money from, from, from billing or? Yes. From okay. billing. If we bill correctly, of course, and this is my plug for professional billers. Can we please get some professional billers? Oh, my gosh. Okay. But that's a whole nother story. But yes. If we build correctly and get it all together. Don't offend people. We have professional builders. We need to work with them. We need them. We need, we need all of that, you know, better, um, you know, integrated, I should say. Yeah, Make yeah. sure that we are optimizing the billing because um, that's super important. They, through the CPS program, CPS, CPSP program, we can bill for group health education in addition to the prenatal visit. So this is all billable healthcare services in terms of the two-hour group visit session. So um, in an afternoon session, for example, a four-hour clinic session, um, we uh, when we launched Black Centering, on average, providers were seeing, I was um, told by our leadership, on average about six people for, per four-hour session. Um, in centering visits, it was a little bit higher and then six people per group. So in that afternoon session, we are actually, as an ideal centering group is anywhere from eight to 12. Um, in our first centering group, actually, during the shelter in place, we never had a group visit that was less than nine people. So when you think about it like that, we can bill for each one of those people for that um, return prenatal visit in addition to um, a whole package of CPSP group health education. So um, it is actually the smarter way to go in terms of reimbursement. Um, uh, but also, you know, we do, I've been doing also a lot of grant fundraising and because, you know, we our gold package it really covers a lot more than just, um, you know, what we're doing in terms of routine prenatal care. So all of the things we're providing to our patients to address this, the, you know, social determinants of health and all that, we do go above and beyond. And so we do, you know, use grant money for that. Things like providing food, you know, we provide produce delivered to our um, patients who need it every two weeks. We provide restaurant prepared meals for six weeks postpartum. So that's something, of course, you know, that's not included in reimbursement. So I raise grant funds in order to pay for that. Um, but um, ultimately, really what we're um, wanting to pursue is a social entrepreneurship model for social justice, social um, entrepreneurship model for birth justice in Oakland. So what that means is we want to be able to get to the point where we can generate revenue in addition to our traditional reimbursement um, through Medicaid and our um, grant funds. So we you know, are producing with this program patient education materials, right? Um, we make our own Black-centric patient education. We have an artist to do our own illustrations. I've been approached by so many people from around the country already asking, saying, you know, we want to do a Black-centering program. Or can we, uh, you know, use some of your patient education materials? Is there, you know, how do we um, do this? And can can we share that? And so there's, there's going to be a market for this. And um, so we know that in the future, if we do this right, there can be a way to leverage what's being produced um, in the community uh, to support the program in that way. Uh, Trustee Jensen and then Ms. Graywall uh, on hands up. Trustee Jensen. Ms.
Ms. Graywall, I'll let you go. And then we'll wait for Ms. Trustee Jensen. And then uh, Trustee Friedman. Thank you. Great program. A lot of exciting work. Um, is there a program that once the mothers deliver that the pediatric um, providers are also educated so that we can sort of measure like just the care that the infant is getting um, in those early years, the baby well visits and, and that ongoing education? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, there is actually a model called Centering Parenting that is um, a dyad-based model where um, the uh, mom or new parent and baby are cared for together in that same kind of um, facilitated group visit model. And so that's ultimately what would be a great thing for us to be able to do is to be able to transition our cohorts of Centering Pregnancy participants into a Centering Parenting um, cohort after their initial postpartum period. And that would allow us to continue all those benefits of the group care. Um, it's based on the well child um, visit schedule instead of the prenatal visit schedule, but it's the same kind of model. Um, so ultimately that would be kind of, I think the, the dream <laughs> right now, we don't yet have the infrastructure or the capacity staffing wise to have a racially concordant centering parenting model, but I think we can get there. Um, and for now, we do um, make sure that our participants have the whole suite of starting out strong programs. So our partnership with the public health department is really great because it means that we don't let anybody go at the end of it. You know, we have interconceptional groups, as they call them, through the starting out strong program um, that address, uh, you know, all of that um, social support that's needed in the postpartum period. They have a group on um, early uh, childhood um, attachment vitamins, it's called. It's an early childhood-based program, um, trauma-informed uh, kind of model that's really great for new parents in our community, um, along with a, a lot of other um, models. And so there are participants do have that, uh, that resource. Great. We also Thank have you. an alumni network. Yeah, so we, we have an alumni network we're building of all of our participants who come through the program so that they can stay engaged with each other um, and that we can continue to offer them supports. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. Trustee Jensen and Trustee Friedman. Um, well, I suspect my the answer to my question is going to be similar, that there aren't sufficient resources. But um, this is really a profound and excellent presentation. I, I appreciate it, and I appreciate all of the support, really. I, that's what we're here to do is to support and you know encourage the um, establish the reduced morbidity and, mortal, morbidity and mortality around um, giving birth and, and supporting all of our, our patients who are coming to the clinics and the hospital. And so my question is kind of around, the, as you discussed, the disparity reduction lessons and how it has the potential of those lessons to expand this the centering program to other, um, to address the perinatal inequities that other populations at AHS are experiencing. Mm. I'm, specifically thinking of our Hispanic patients and our um, yeah. our indigenous patients who are. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We really hope that um, Beloved Birth can serve as an example of, um, you know, what can be done and can be used as inspiration and can develop some best practices around racially, culturally concordant centering pregnancy care that can be utilized for other populations. 
Um, and so, you know, we have had, um, for example, Spanish centering at Alameda Health System for a long time, but it's never been racially and culturally concordant. So it's mostly been groups facilitated by um, white midwives where Spanish was not their first language. Um, and we didn't have the capacity as a service to do a racially and, and really, you know, native speaker linguistically concultural you know, brown centering, as I like to call it. Um, we didn't have that capacity. And we still, you know, we only right now we have two Latina midwives, whereas we have um, seven black midwives. So there's a difference there in our capacity with staffing. So we do need to get, you know, more staff on board to be able to do something like what we're doing um, in our black community. But I believe exactly that is what's needed in the future and would increase the quality of care so much. So um, really, you know, we're blazing ahead with um, our black centering program right now knowing that, you know, we're learning um, and, and staff, you know, who will be working in the Spanish learning program is learning along with us and helping us along this journey as well, knowing we're, we know we're all preparing for that future day. Yeah. Oh, and, and I have no doubt that your lessons are being shared um, informally, at least, or certainly, you know, among all of the, the people and, and our excellent staff in, in our OB department. Thanks for that question, Trustee Jensen. Uh, Trustee Friedman. Yeah. When I was reviewing the materials the last few days before the meeting, I got very inspired by your presentation and looking at the slides. And uh, the presentation did not disappoint. It inspired me even more. Among the things that I think are really great is the sense of joy that I see in the graphics and in the, the uh, presentation. And I, I think that creates such a positive feeling uh, that I'm sure permeates the program. So that really impressed me. I didn't see any mention of using uh, mindfulness, meditation, yoga techniques. Is that part of the uh, curriculum that you use? Yes, definitely. Absolutely. So we actually um, were, uh, we, so Centering Pregnancy usually does, just as a model, include time during that two hour visit um, for, we have an opening and a closing and often those opening and closings will have moments of mindfulness. Um, oftentimes people have done yoga, dance, different physical things. We actually do dance workouts and stretch sessions um, actually over Zoom. So we've been doing that even though we've been telehealth, we still do it. And uh, we even, you know, with our telehealth uh, program home, um, we get to even, for example, share mindfulness videos so that our participants actually have videos that they have, you know, at their fingertips 24 seven of, you know, um, guided meditations, for example, that they can use and, you know, different exercises that they can do. And so um, our telehealth model has allowed us to go far beyond what's traditionally provided to um, centering participants. Usually participants just get this paper book when they join a centering group as a patient. <laughs> but in our model, they get a whole online space where they have guided meditations, all that stuff. So absolutely, we are all about holistic uh, mind body wellness yeah well wonderful thank you yeah thank you thank for that question trustee friedman uh you know we're in the quality committee so let, let let's go back to uh what what we do here which is talk about steep and if if we apply the steep crack domains to this i think without any doubt patient centeredness is is sort of at the at the heart of this project I think equity is also uh, at the heart of this project. One could argue efficiency uh, it comes out of this because seeing more people in groups allows more efficient use of the system. We're waiting, Ms. Wren, on the uh, clinical effectiveness. So I, I look forward to that uh, a presentation. Man, if you bend the curve on preterm labor, then, then or, or what other, other metric, 
uh, I think uh, you've made a great quality project if we can hit all those uh, steep criteria. Uh, so appreciate uh, your presentation. Dr. Smith, can you remind uh, this, this room and this board about the trend in uh, births at, uh, in our system? Yeah, I don't know what it's due to. Thank you for uh, the lob here. But in August, we, <laughs> we, we saw a 50% increase in the number of deliveries at uh, Alameda Health System in September, something very close to that. There was a predicted COVID post-COVID surge for March of this year, which did not happen. Uh, and it has sort of been a delayed kind of impact, which we saw in the past couple of months. And I checked around with my friends at um, Sutter and Kaiser Oakland, and they're, they're, sim they're uh, experiencing similar surges. Uh, so the bottom line is quality needs to be really reinforced and really um, kind of rethought out and innovated around um, as these numbers seem to go in the direction they're going. Okay. Well, um, uh, there aren't more vulnerable populations than, than uh, our young mothers and, and these babies. So thank you for the work that you guys do. Um, with that, I'm going to close out um, item E, the quality improvement project report. And we'll go to item F quickly, the planning calendar and issue tracking. I know uh, Trustee Esteen had to follow up, but nursing education has, has been something. And I know that, that, that there is a, a redux on, on, on educate nursing education. We'll, we'll still kick this one down the road. Uh, a chief nursing executive, uh, will, this will probably fall under their, their, their purview as, as that part of our organization develops. Throughput is one which has been discussed. We previously heard a quality improvement project on the transfer center, but throughput I want to keep on our tracking radar. Um, I want to go with, forward with a little bit of planning. The next uh, and last uh, QPSC of the year is the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. Uh, a, a poll has gone out, and so I can be blamed for putting it on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, so you guys can put that one on me. I've, I've polled uh, the other trustees, uh, Madam Clerk, if we could have an earlier start at 5 p.m. And I, I think we're getting some positive responses, so we're projecting it'll be 5 p.m. We're going to do, sorry, I'm going to do whatever I can to make that meeting short so people can get home uh, and be with their families. And that will include shutting myself up uh, because I know I can talk a little bit. So I'll, I'll try to cut my agenda uh, top topics. We do need to approve policies and procedures and we do absolutely need to approve credentialing because that's our last stop for the year. I'll, I'll defer to the uh, chiefs of staff on that report. We still have a month to think about it because remember the charter here is to engage our our, our physicians on that. So if you wanted to cut it short, you probably wouldn't uh, uh, meet a lot of resistance from the room, but we have a month to think about it. So just projecting, we're trying to start earlier on that evening, the last QPC of the, QPSC of the year at five o'clock, and I'm hoping we go no longer than 45 minutes. Um, so that's the projection. Um, so with that, uh, any comments from the trustees on that evening? Okay, uh, we will close item F. Um, council. Thank you, Chair Bouquet. The board will now go into closed session to consider those items stated 
into closed session agenda items. Thank you. Audience, we're expecting this to be quite short, um, um, but if you're not here when we get back, that's okay. Have a great evening.